All right, I think we're ready. So you decide to come back for a little bit more of the apocalypse. All right, and nobody was raptured that we know of, so we're just checking this. All right, last week uh, we, we just basically wanted to hear from Aaron Rodgers and Brian Ott. Where's Brian Ott? He's somewhere probably. There he is. He thanked me for that, about just bringing in Aaron Rodgers. It's probably the only time in anything doctrinal we're bringing in Aaron Rodgers, though I, as a Bear fan I would not mind if he were brought in as quarterback. But, uh, yeah, that's right, Brandenburg. But, but, but the point is, it was, a, it, was a, it was a statement to say, relax, right? There's been a big hype. And, and, and here's, here's what I wanted to kind of say. We don't see this hype as much because it's happening around us, but the hype is mainly the last century, and get this, mainly America. Now, I thought that sounds weird. That sounds very, very weird because you are just thinking that what we're thinking and what we're engaging with and even theological focuses in the American church would be quite similar in other places, but actually it's, it's different. The, the interest in Revelation is tenfold more in this country than any other country. The particular reading of Revelation is almost entirely unique to this country than any other country. Like, it's just strange. Now, that doesn't mean it's not found in other pockets, other places. It's just to say it's, it's, it's arguably overemphasized in this culture. So that's why there needed to be a week where we just said, relax. Like, hold on a second. You and I have been cooking in a kitchen that's, that's really heated up over this particular topic, and that's all we know. But the reality is, is brothers and sisters around the world would be yelling back at not even Aaron Rodgers, right, but just pastors or people from other cultures say, relax. That's why I gave that analogy of a fence around a tennis court because you don't want to play tennis with me if you don't have a fence around the tennis court. You may not want to play anyway. But the point is the reason there's a fence around the tennis court is because you're just not going to always have it going volleying for three straight hours and then you just walk off the court. You're going to miss and you got a fence to stop it about 20 feet behind the back line. We have the same thing in the church. Like there's some core things that all Christians everywhere are heated up about. The gospel, heat up. We, we should always be heated up. The deity of Christ, the authority of scripture, heat up. Like, we, 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 don't, like what, we don't say relax about the deity of Christ. We say that's central. Like we, we, gotta, we gotta get after it if there's a problem there. Like those things are first-rank issues that we need to be serious about. Then there are some second-rank issues like what do we do with baptism? And again, those might be the ones that most of us are like, whatever, but it makes a difference. Are we dedicating babies or baptizing babies? Like, How do we do church? Do, do we have congregational business meetings or does a presbytery in Winnebago County, probably down in Rockford, make all the decisions for this church? That makes a difference. So we at least got to work some of those second-rank issues out as well so we know how to do what we're supposed to do. So we can't necessarily relax about those things. But now we get into lower level issues where it's like, well, there's just, uh, there's just ability to disagree over this. We, we can just disagree about these things. We just can. Because it's a jagged line issue. It's not a straight line. You get to, you're talking Jesus, straight line. You're talking authority of Scripture, straight line. You talk the rapture, jagged line. 
You just need to hear that. It just is. And I know full well that there are people in this church that hold different positions on that. And part of me is like, well, that, that actually is pr pretty normal. You, you would kind of expect that. You would expect there to be different issues. There's, there's different issues on the vaccine. You would kind of expect that. There, there's different issues on should we do public school, homeschool, private school. Well, you, you would kind of hope there'd be different issues on that. And it would be totally dependent on the nature of your kids, nature of your family. Maybe income would have a say in some. I mean, there's a lot of factors that you would just expect there to be some jagged ends. For it to say, everybody must this or everybody must that regarding schooling. or You're not letting there be a jagged issue. But when it's about Jesus, it's not a jagged line issue anymore. When it's about the order of Scripture, it's, it's not a jagged line issue. It's a, it's a straight line issue. So we just needed a week to, to, to rank that. And I also just wanted to give you this image, even though I was rushed at the end by my own doing, I wanted to give you this image of this cathedral with these stained glass windows that you can't go in yet, but you can walk around and look in and see all you're seeing, even if only a partial glimpse, is Christ. And he is powerful, and he's beautiful, and he dominates, and he defends, and he extends his holiness, and he dwells with his people. That's revelation. Like, that's the part that all of us should kind of land on and see, but unfortunately, we don't always. And so we need to make sure we get some help in that. Now, if this, if this were a smaller class, it'd be way easier to do this, but, but, but I didn't give any time at all for any kind of discussion, and it can't be much, and you're going to have to yell with a bullhorn potentially, but do you have any comments any, any, any questions based upon last time that you'd like to throw out? Now, I know it's been 168 hours. That's a long time, right? So it's been 168 hours, and it all might be gone. You might have forgotten this was a revelation class until you just, I reminded you, right? But are there any comments or questions that you want to throw out before I go on to something else? Anybody, without being afraid to talk in front of 100 people. All right. Oh, I didn't even see you. Is that Todd? Got you. Good check. Well, and, and, and here's the thing. That's the main point, right? So if you're getting that, that's the main point. Yet, as I'll talk about in just a couple minutes, most of us think the main point is something about the how, how it's going to end. And if you think Revelation is primarily telling you about the how, then you got something coming. It's just not the main question it's answering. That's not. Because it's the who. Right? It's totally about the who. And about the what and about the why. That, that, that's the question. That's going to be my first point this morning. And it kind of stems up for that. Is God at the end saying, you're good. Like, I'm here and it's Christ himself, right, who's lived a life, who's died a death, who's resurrected, who sits reigning, like somebody who's actually breathed the air you breathed, lived the life you've lived, died the death, you and your last submission to God, you will die. He's done all that already, and then he's the one shouting back saying, I got you because I got this. Like that is so important to hear. Yet to think about it all 
refocusing our attention, and this has really happened more in the American church than almost any other. That's the, that's the saddest part. It's happened more in the American church than any other, and I think that actually is a hindrance to helping us live. Like We don't know how to suffer because we don't want to. Like We don't think there should be suffering. And you read the New Testament carefully, and you're like, it's not if you're going to suffer, it's just how. Like if you're actually reading the New Testament, it would say it's not if you're going to suffer, it's how are you going to suffer. Like that's what the New Testament's trying to say. And at the end of the book, Christ ends and Christ is shouting back into his creation that he's slowly recreating, starting with you, and he's saying, "I've got you because I've got this." That's so important. So it's meant you're you're meant to walk away from Revelation. You're like, man, is my God awesome? Take my heart, take my life, let's do this. I, I am striving for one thing, because we've got this. Instead, we are totally trying to determine mark of the beast with vac vaccination shots, and oh, 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 who, who, who is this and that particular political character, and this and that. And that's literally what we're doing, and we're actually getting all worked up about things that Revelation isn't even talking about. That's the thing that's most heartening, I think, in this context. Like I said, if I was teaching this class at St. Andrew's Baptist Church in St. Andrew, Scotland, where my wife and I were members for three years, I wouldn't even need to explain this. There might be one or two people that have been exposed to a particular American teacher somewhere, and they've got some exposure to it, but if I'm in St. Andrew's Baptist Church, I don't even have to talk about this. I might just say, now there's a couple different kind of perspectives on this going on in the world but then we would just get right in, because this is how they're generally being taught in their context, but not in ours. And that doesn't mean it's all bad. It just means just we need to be aware of imbalance. We, we can say that. We, we, and we can say that about our own tradition in other ways. A, a week or so ago, I talked about the imbalance of the Holy Spirit. Like, we underemphasize the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean we have to overemphasize the Holy Spirit and say everything I do and decide and say is a word of the Spirit. I, I, I just couldn't say that. But I can say the Spirit is at work, and I'm trusting and knowing and believing that the Spirit works, and we just don't have to be afraid of the Spirit just because in some traditions it's totally overemphasized. But we don't want to underemphasize it either. Other, other comments or questions from, from last week that you want to share? All right, well, the, I, I, I gave a trailer to the first point. It's in your notes, and it's this. Revelation is not primarily, primarily answering the how question. How's it going to end? But the who, what, and why questions. In fact, to be honest, that's a really important thing for me to say about both bookends of the Bible. The bookends of the Bible are totally debated. Like, they just are. And in general, the bookends of the Bible, we normally ask the how question. And that doesn't mean it doesn't speak to that at all. It does. It's just not the main question it's answering. I'm, I, I've given this example before about my PhD supervisor, Richard Balkum, but he was so hard on me. I mean, literally, I think I told you a story when I went in to meet with him for the first time, and I, you know, I just, you know, he's accepted me, right? He had like scores of candidates. He picked three guys. I'm one of them. He only takes seven to ten guys at a time over a period of three to four years. So he took a kid out of Guilford High School to come study with him at this university, right? I was one of the, the last three students to study with this premier New Testament scholar, just a total brainiac. 
And my first meeting with him, he literally looks at me. I mean, he's not holding back, right? I'm a PhD student. He's my Dr. Vater, doctoral father. He's treating me like a, a Padawan. And he basically says, do you even know how to read? That's his first question to me. And I'm thinking, I've got two master's degrees from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and an undergrad and a Guilford High School. No, I didn't mention that. But I didn't even say any of that. But I just said, I mean, I've been in school for a long time. He's like, do you even know how to read? And he wasn't acting like I didn't know how to read English. He's like, he go, he basically at one point, here's this little guy that I could have, if he had attacked me in that moment, I probably could have beaten him with my left pinky. I mean, this guy is not made for any athletics. God gave all of that. This is like a bobblehead guy, right? I mean, they just tip over. This is not an athlete. I literally, I literally walking into this, I mean, the building he was in was built in like the, what, 1200s? So the door was here. So I remember the first time I met with him, like he sees my mouth. And I'm like ducking down like Hagrid or something, right? And I'm kind of like, hello, you know, can I study with you? And the only thing he said about my size ever is like, an advantage of a man your size is you can carry many books at one time. I mean, that's about it. Like, you don't fit in cars or doors, but you can carry many books at one time. Thank you, sir. Is that good? Uh, should I be a librarian? But all that to say is he took me on because I, was at, I didn't know what questions to even ask. Like, I, what, were the, what am I supposed to ask? And so part of me wants to say to the Christian, are you asking the question or are you letting the Bible answer questions? That's one of the most important things. Like, what question is the Bible even answering? Like, if you get that wrong, you get the whole thing wrong. And for too many of us, we're just, we're, tr we're trying to look for an answer that the Bible's not primarily asking. That is why my supervisor was so hard on me. At one point, he literally, he didn't physically grab me, but he had this, like, tough guy voice and this little tiny body. But he was like, he's got to grab the author by the collar and let him know who's who. I wasn't talking about physically assaulting a guy at a conference. He was like, why do you trust everything you read? If the guy's wrong, he's wrong. Take him on. What is the question? What did my whole first year, he asked me that a million times. Well, what's, the, what's he answering? Did he even ask the right question? Quicker, quicker. I mean, this is what he would do. I'd be like, I'm sweating. You know, I'm, I'm like, my, my voice is cracking at 27, 28. Quicker, quicker. Like he was, he was forcing me to discipline myself to ask the right questions. Brothers and sisters, you got to be willing to do a little bit of that too. I'm not going to bring Professor Bach up here because his little English accent would freak us all out, maybe, or maybe attract us. I don't know. But he wouldn't be able to relate well to a church, to be honest with you. That guy is made for just PhD guys in library corridors. But he helped me see something that I think can help you. What's the question that's answering? And who gets to decide that, you or God? Like straight up, who gets to decide? If, if you have any questions about that, we could skip what we're going to talk about today. We could just go to the book of Job, and we could see how well Job does against God when he starts to ask some questions, and God's like, who are you again? Or how about this? Where were you when? And then he just lists things. Where were you when I was forming the crust of the earth? Good point, God. I, I submit, right? Like, no, 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 I'm not done, God says. I got like 75 more examples. Where were you when? So part of me wants to just say, what's the question it's asking? And whether it's Genesis or Revelation, and those are the ones that are the most 
tempting for us to answer with the how question, I would want to say from the text. I'm not trying to say that because I don't think the how is important or it's not a matter of debate. Or that if you get the how wrong, you get God wrong. Like if you say that God didn't create the world, a Genesis how question, you got a real problem. You got a whole lot of problems regarding sin and the historical Adam. Lots of problems there if you don't get the how right. But that how is not the main thing the text is answering. A lot of other doctrinal truths help explain what ultimately the how is. But it's not like the text is spending all of its time and energy to answer the how. Well, that's true in Revelation. It is just as it, true in Genesis. It's just as true as Revelation. Science is what's dominating our processing. We just need to know that. Our processing is dominated by science. It just is. We are children of science. And I'm not trying to say science is a bad thing. I'm just simply trying to say is that is the worldview that dominates our thinking, and it has for the last several centuries. Science asks physical questions, cause and effect. Whereas as Christians, we're actually wanting to ask metaphysical questions, which is nature and purpose. Do you see the difference? Like Science focuses on natural things, and that is good and true and part of God's common grace. But Christians in the church want to talk about supernatural things, and supernatural things are nature and purpose. So you could say, so let me give you Jesus as an example the historical Jesus as an example from the perspective of natural and supernatural. Natural. Some guy claimed to be God. He was rejected by the religious authorities, seen as a threat by the secular authorities, and they killed him. Supernatural. The Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. Now, which one is right? Well, they both are. They both are right. But you rarely see the Bible spending too much time on just the natural. Like They'll allude to it because they're letting you know how God is actually using natural things for supernatural purposes. Do you see that? Like It literally is John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, and he, and he literally is looking at a man, and he calls him a lamb. And it's so significant that when Revelation... When you remember you're outside that cathedral looking in the stained glass window, when Revelation is describing it, it describes him as a lamb, a slain lamb sitting on the throne. It has always wanted you to see the supernatural reality. So the beginning and end of the Bible, it is so important that you don't just think cause and effect. You think nature and purpose. It's not simply how God created the world or revelation how God ends the world, but what it is for and why. What's the goal? What's the purpose? Who's involved? So I give you, I give you a couple statements under that first point. Revelation is putting the whole Bible together giving you a glimpse into the heavenly realm and calling you to live out the heavenly reality in your life. That, that is just so important. Revelation is saying, hey, I want you to see what's really happening. Like, just, like, just like with Jesus. I know you see a man. I want you to see a lamb. Wait, you're kidding me, right? Like I just had dinner with him last night. Uh, that, that's a man. Why are you calling him a lamb? I know you see a, lamb, a man. I want you to see a lamb. You're killing me, man. I just see a guy with two arms and two legs. 
I know you see a man, I want you to see a lamb. Now what Revelation is doing is saying that same thing. I know this is what you see in the world. I want you to look with these lenses. Who's winning? What are you fearing? What are you supposed to be doing? What's the ultimate goal? That's Revelation. Brothers and sisters, do you realize how much we've missed if we haven't been reading it that way? Our interpretive questions must be led by Scripture's intentions, and I even frame it this way, by the communicative desire of God. When we are interpreting Scripture, we want to hear what God is saying. Every week, I don't preach every week. I probably preach 42 to 45 times out of the year. When I sit down, most of the time I'm at my study at home, uh, unless children are home, and then I am long far away from there. Uh, but I am studying at home, and I have all this quiet, and I am trying to determine what God would want to say to Hope Evangelical Free Church Sunday after ch- Sunday. Like, I want to hear what God would want to say to us, me included. That, that is my job. My job is not to say, hey, that's cool. Let me talk about this. No, I want to say exactly what God would want to say based upon the communicative intention in his word. And that was my job to go to school. That was why in God's providence, I had a PC supervisor that wanted me to submit myself to the text to make sure I'm listening to exactly what the text is saying so that you can hear it clearly. That's what I'm supposed to do to equip the saints from God's word. And we want to do that in Revelation too. The last thing I'm going to talk about is this. Revelation is a form of literature, fancy word or technical word or academic word is genre, a form of literature called apocalyptic literature. The Bible contains many different kinds of literature. It's got narrative, history, biography, poetry, wisdom literature, letters like we're going through right now. And another one is apocalyptic. And, and what it is tells you what it does. That's just important. What it is tells you what it does. It's crucial to understand the form of the literature, to read it and understand it. Now, again, this is where it would be easy for, for us to, you know, to kind of minimize that. But we, we just don't do that with anything else. We don't do that with anything else. If you have some kind of liquid, and it could be some kind of cleaning detergent, or it could be apple juice, you'd like to figure that out before you have your 10-year-old get involved with it. It's just You just do. What it is determines what you can do with it or what you should do with it. Same with Revelation and genre. So here's the first four verses of Revelation. Notice I, in your notes, I underline three parts because there's actually three different forms of literature in the same book. The most dominant one, though, is apocalyptic. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is the, the Greek word is apocalypsis. That's the Greek word. So literally, revelation, it's called the book of Revelation, which means you're supposed to read it as an apocalypsis, as an apocalyptic book. But then you go a few lines down in verse 3, and you'll see that it says the word prophecy. And then a few lines down, or really the beginning of verse 4, it starts like a letter. So let me explain those three. Then I'll show a short video that I hope will be helpful. And then, and then see if we have time for questions, if I can end on time and not get fired again today. Apocalypse. Uh, apocalypse. 
What is an apocalypse? It's a highly symbolic communication that unveils, reveals heavenly truths for earthly life. That's what it is. So when, remember that story from, from Acts 7 when Stephen had that vision that he was seeing revelation. He was getting apocalyptic communication. You heard about it in the form of, guess what? Historical narrative. So it was recorded for us as historical narrative, but what was he seeing was apocalyptic vision. It was unveiling what is most true. And did you see what it did? It didn't, he, he didn't respond and say, oh, now I know how, how I'm supposed to die. No, he saw the who. There's Christ. I couldn't be more secure. Oh, there's these people. They have no idea what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Like, did you see mercy came out? The guy's about to be stoned, and he has mercy on his killers? Why? Because he saw true reality. Now, how do you do that in literature? So if you get this, if you are reading Revelation like it's history forward, you're, not, you're missing that. It's not, you're supposed to see a lamb and see a lamb. You're not supposed to translate, code everything, right? You're supposed to see reality as it truly is. If you're just translating it like history, which is how, brothers and sisters, most of our churches, at least in the last century, again, before the last century, this was not the case. Really, the reading that you and I have been dominated with in our traditions, if I could summarize it, it'd be the left-behind reading. That reading has really only existed, get this, for about 140 years. I hate to say that. That means the majority of Christians, not just around the world, but even in North America, the majority of Christians have never heard that version of Revelation. And yet that is the one that my guess is 99%, maybe 97% of you, that's the only version you've ever heard. That's it. That's the one. Because of Jenkins and, and LaHaye, and, and that version, and, and several other theologians, I mean, it's a longer story we could get to maybe the Q&A in our last week. It's a fascinating story how that has dominated not only modern reading of Revelation, but also specifically an American one. And I actually think that's really hurt the church. I don't think that's just, well, they're a little off. No, I actually think it's hurt the church because we may be the richest and most powerful country in the world, but it, we actually can't see the danger around us we aren't, we, aren't, we aren't Christians who have learned how to suffer well because we haven't seen the voice and heard the voice from the other side yet. In fact, our security, idol of security bent, has actually loved what Jenkins and LaHaye have done because now we kind of got it all worked out and we're just getting ready. I avoid my vaccine. I avoid that mark of the beast. I avoid this and that and that country and I'm good to go. Because that's, that's our cultural idol. We love control and security. We, just, we, we don't necessarily call it out, but that's what it is. It's a highly symbolic communication, Apocalypse is, that unveils, reveals heavenly truth. That's why it just translates as revelation. It reveals. The, what's its purpose? To sustain the people of God, especially in times of crisis, by reaching the heart. Okay, so revelation was never meant to give you a mental picture that you could draw out into 12 volumes. It was supposed to be seven volumes, by the way, but it sold so well they added five. It was never something you could write out as a story. It was talking to your heart. 
It was not supposed to, it's not a narrative, it's not like Acts or the Gospels where it's a story it's being told. It is speaking to your heart. That was his purpose. It gives insight about various things. Truth about evil forces. It's an exhortation to remain faithful and to trust in God. So it gives it speaks about the weakness of what you're really facing. Remember Stephen? They don't even know. God have mercy on them. They don't even know what they're doing. It exhorts them to remain faithful and to trust and hope in God. It's not speculative foresight, but theological insight. Man, that may be important. That's a tongue-tying statement, but let me say it again. Revelation is not giving speculative foresight into the future, but theological insight into the present. That's what it's trying to do. Listen to the description from a guy named Michael Reddish that I think is helpful. The language of the book is primarily pictorial, symbolic language. It is not the language of science or logic, meaning it doesn't have like a flow. This happens, then this happens, then this happens. Rather, it is evocative, powerful, emotive language, at times more akin to poetry than to prose. Like the language of poetry, the language of Revelation sometimes is mysterious and slippery. It's meant to make create feelings in you. This is what he says. Teasing its reader to make connections and see possibilities that one has never made or seen before. The language of Revelation works not by imparting information, but notice what I underlined, but by helping the reader experience what John experienced. In a sense, it wants to give you a Stephen moment. Revelation is like, Come here a sec. Okay. Look into the heavens. No, no matter what era you're at, it's like, well, is this mid-trip or pre-trip? No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's not about the end. It's about the now. Look into the heavens, and I want you to see the throne. I want you to see the enemies opposing God, and they are so powerless. I want you to see the slain lamb who literally is already indwelling with you by the Spirit. I want you to see the host of brothers and sisters from all the countries literally waiting there saying, Hail the king! He's the king and shouting back at you, Be faithful, brother and sister. This is not it. It is not what is yet to come. And then all of a sudden, clouds close. Boop! You're back at work. Now live. Now live. And you don't and you don't you don't like recount that you like you know what I saw I don't, first of all there were some weird angels with wings things like nobody goes to Isaiah six and walks away and say what'd you think man those seraphim are weird looking like nobody walks away and says that they walk away like Isaiah and what do they say threefold holy 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 I am unclean send me that's somebody who's seen Revelation. If somebody were to see that and say, okay, so based upon my reading, there'll be seven years of this, and then in the midway point, there'll be that, and we should be looking for a guy that will do this. And I will. You haven't seen it. You're misreading it. You missed it. No, 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 that's not what it's, that's not what it's trying to do. 
It's not trying to do that. It wants you to live differently. It wants to make you broken in your soul so that no matter what you're facing, no matter what it is, you've got a whole different vision of the world and a commitment to your king, no matter what you face. An apocalypse is primarily written for the imagination and the heart, not the scientific brain. Man, that's hard for us, though. Remember what the imagination is? It's that mental muscle that connects things. It's written for the imagination to help you see what you can't see on your own. Revealing. Revelation. It uses images and symbols and pictures to describe events that exceed human capacities of expression. If you try to put it in words like Jenkins and LaHaye, you've already done it a disservice. It's not meant to be described. It's meant to be embraced with the heart. God gave a lot of descriptions, tons of stories in the Old Testament and the New. He gave tons of data in the letters, and this is trying to grab you by the heart. It's, 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 that, it's that last talk. It's that last little speech, right? It, it, it's that last little, that little coach talk in the locker room before going out. It's the mom and dad talking to their boy before they get deployed to service. It's that family praying with their son and daughter-in-law before they go serving the missionary. You're not like, now do you have your plane tickets? You're like, your life is Christ's. You're serving him. He gives, he takes away. You just know that. We love you, we are proud of you, we are praying for you. Serve the king with your heart and with your life. Now if they walked away and say, I think my parents are saying they're gonna visit in 18 months. No, 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 that's not what they're saying at all. It's, it's, it's things that you can't even express. It's things you feel in your heart that in deep moments you're remembering what mom or dad or grandpa prayed. It's those moments. That's what Revelation is trying to do. Prophecy is mentioned as well. It'd be good to correct a couple things. Prophecy is a message of comfort and challenge. I think a lot of times when we hear the word prophecy, we think prediction, like what's going to tell me something to come. That's not the normal use of it. In fact, the most common use of prophecy is not about predictions and pronouncements about the future, but rather about words of comfort or challenge. Most of God's prophets, you know what they did? They would walk into God's people and say, what do you think you're doing? That totally dishonors your king. Do you not trust in him? Do you want judgment to come? If that's what needs to happen... Change your life. Now, what prediction was there? That doesn't mean a prophet can't do foretelling future, but most of biblical prophecy is actually forthtelling, present. Hence, Revelation. It wasn't written just so that some, some lucky generation could know what's going to happen for their seven years, and the rest of them are like, well, it'd be nice if we knew we were the end. Somebody will be well prepared for life, but this book is meaningless until the last generation of human history. No, the book's not meaningless. It's actually speaking to every generation because we are in the latter days since Christ came. And you need to know what is most true and real, and you need somebody saying, live for Christ, trust in the king, don't believe the foreign powers. Prophecy is speaking God's words of comfort to challenge his people in concrete situations last of this is a letter. It's a contemporary form of communication. 
that has a, that's a pastoral tool and shared among churches. In fact, notice that in verse 4, this letter of revelation is being spread around the churches. If anything, that itself is proof of the present focus of the book. It was useful to Christians 2,000 years ago, meaning it was talk, talking about the present. If they'd read it and said, well, man, whew, I mean, this is useless until the rapture. That doesn't mean no good until the rapture. Now, when the rapture comes, I'm ready to go. Here we go. Woo! I got a manual. But until then, I'm stopping at Jude because Revelation is meaningless. Uh, but if it happens, then I'm going to start reading Revelation. No, 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 no. Revelation was important in the first century. It's important in the 21st century. I want you to watch this video. It's by a group called The Bible Project. Now, I know Tim Mackey, one of the guys. He was at Blackhawk E Free Church for many years. PC and Old Testament from UW-Madison. And the Bible Project does some really cool stuff. I haven't seen many of the videos, but I thought their one on apocalyptic literature was well done. So watch this. It's about six minutes. Stop it at about six or so minutes in, Eric up there, and then and we'll have a few minutes to debrief afterwards. It's the end of the world. The moon turns to blood. Mountains crumble. Mutant locusts swarm. These are just some of the strange images we find in parts of the Bible called apocalyptic. And while most people think the biblical word apocalypse means the end of the world, it actually doesn't mean that at all. So let's talk about how to read apocalyptic literature in the Bible. So wait, the apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world? No, apocalypse is a Greek word that means to uncover or reveal. An apocalypse is when you suddenly see the true nature of something that you couldn't see before. Because I don't always see things the way they really are. Right. We all develop familiar ways of seeing the world that can limit or blur our vision. So an apocalypse is like a revelation. Right. Now, in the Bible, an apocalypse is when God pulls back the curtain to show someone what's really going on in the world from a divine perspective. For example, take Isaiah the prophet. He's suddenly transported in a vision into God's throne room. Oh, right. He's in God's temple, described as a bridge between heaven and earth. And there, God gives him a divine perspective on Israel's past, present, and their future. So that Isaiah can bring challenge and comfort to God's people in his own day. Or think about the Apostle Paul, who was trying to stop the movement of Jesus, but then he gets stopped in his tracks by a vision of the risen Jesus himself. Yeah, he realizes that he's fighting against the very thing that he's been hoping for, and it changes the course of his life. So these apocalypses give people a heavenly perspective on their earthly situation, and they can give hope, or they can challenge you. Or make you change everything. Now, those are biblical stories about people having an apocalypse. There are also whole sections of biblical books where a prophet describes extended apocalyptic dreams and visions. People call this apocalyptic literature. And reading these dreams and visions is difficult. I mean, they're filled with strange images. Like, let's take Daniel. He sees ferocious beasts coming up out of a dark sea, trampling people on the land. And then a character called the Son of Man is exalted to rule the world. What is going on? Yeah, apocalyptic literature is written in a poetic, imaginative style, and it's packed with symbolism. How can I know what these symbols mean? Well, first, by studying the rest of your Bible. 
Apocalyptic imagery is based on biblical design patterns that begin in the book of Genesis and then develop throughout the Bible. Like the chaotic sea in the first sentences of the Bible that God tames but doesn't eliminate as he orders creation. And so the sea becomes an image of danger, death, and cosmic chaos. Ah, and the dry land, which comes out of the sea, is the safe ordered place where humans are supposed to rule as God's image. Yes, and also on the land are beasts that humans are supposed to oversee. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast. And start acting like violent beasts. Exactly. Now, sometimes a prophet will tell you what a symbol means. Like in Daniel, we're told those beasts symbolize violent human kingdoms. But more often, the authors just assume you know how to trace an image through the biblical story to understand its meaning. Now let's look at the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, because it's one really long vision. The whole thing is an apocalypse. Yeah, and it works the same way. It begins with John the visionary transported to God's throne room where he sees the risen Jesus as the exalted king of the world. But Jesus is depicted as a bloody lamb. Right. It's a design pattern showing how Jesus is the sacrificial lamb from Israel's Passover and from the Day of Atonement. He gave his life for the sins of the world. And then John sees the ultimate beastly dragon, that spiritual power that energizes violent earthly empires. It's cast out by Jesus, the world's true king. Yeah. Now that reminds me. When I read the Revelation, I'm struck by all this cosmic destruction and violence. I mean, it happens over and over and over. Yeah, in the Revelation, there are three seven-part cycles of God's judgment, and it's another design pattern that connects together the stories of the flood, the 10 plagues on Egypt, and the exile to Babylon, and even more. These are moments when humans unleash so much violence and death into the world that God hands them over to self-destruction. It's like a reversal of creation in Genesis chapter one, as God allows the world and humans to sink back into darkness and disorder. That's sobering. It is. But remember, in Genesis one, God overcame darkness and chaos with his light and life. And so too in the Revelation, the death of Jesus and the death of the world as we know it is the pathway into the renewed creation that began with the resurrection of Jesus. And so while the Revelation feels like the end of the world. It's actually about the beginning of the renewed world where heaven and earth are reunited and God's human images rule all creation in the love and power of God. Okay, this is a lot to take in. It is. And there's a lot in these books that is still hard to understand, but the purpose of apocalyptic is really clear. To give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances so that every generation of God's people can be challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. All right, we did it. In this series on how to read the Bible, we looked at all the styles of writing in the Bible narrative, poetry, discourse. And we learn how to read all of the main sections of the Bible. This is sophisticated and beautiful literature. And I can see why the Bible is one of the most influential books in human history. Yes, every part fits into the unified story that leads to Jesus. And it invites us into a lifetime of reading and meditation. There's a whole new world just waiting to be discovered in your Bible. 
Thoughts? We just got a couple minutes. What do you think? I'd love to hear a couple of your reflections on that or what we've talked about this morning. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Linda was saying it, it tells us that God wins, Jesus wins, and if you belong to Jesus, you win too. And yes, that, that is so important. And, and about the richness of what it means to be God's children. Remember, if you were in the first service, we talked about that pastor from India, and he needs that vision. By the way, I, I even think Paul's blindness was less a punishment and more parable. He actually didn't need to see with his eyes anymore. He needed to see with his faith. Right? I mean, that, that, that blindness is significant to see with your faith. Now, how is that not valuable for Christians in every generation? And to think that that's not how we normally think of Revelation. And worse, because of all this apocalyptic end time focus that's confusion and debated, most pastors have never preached a Revelation. I think how sad that is. They've never preached it. But I didn't feel like, because I've been asked by several people, when you're going to go through Revelation? Oh, I will. But I didn't think I could do it without doing this first. Because I felt like I needed to say, hey, let me explain what it is, and then let's work through it, before trying to do that while working through. Other comments, feedback from the video or things that we talked about today? Yeah, and I will, I mean, I will then spend the next two classes, okay, that's what it is. Okay, how do we read it, right? Now, I'm not doing, I'm not, it's not like I'm working through the whole book, that, that would have to be expositorily, and it's worth doing. That would be a good year of sermons. That's worth doing. But I'll just, the next two classes, talk about how do you interpret Revelation? How do you read it? And then I'll end the fifth week with a, with a uh, we'll, we'll simply just talk about the major message of the book. But again, there's a lot of work still to be done. I, by the way, there'll still be a sixth week after our Congregational Business Meeting. We can come back and you can ask any question you want. You can, you can already be saved. Feel free to email me questions already. Shoot me a question, whatever, and then I will, on that week, address it. If you just type something out and email it to me, I will. Well, anymore, yeah. Yeah, and I like how you, it, it's, it's like it comes back full circle. It comes back full. It is so beautiful. I get emotional thinking about that. It's, it's the whole story and every little, every little nook and cranny of that biblical story, from blood on a doorpost to some kind of pharaoh to some king, 700 B.C., and amazing, and through the life and ministry of Jesus, and all of a sudden, Revelation just, whoosh, boom, wraps it all up. And at the end, guess what it is? It's a Sunday morning worship service. I mean, how beautiful is that? I mean, that's just so beautiful. And to think... That that understanding of Revelation is not how we're often reading it is almost depressing. I will say, though, that's what partly, man, they said it. That's what makes Revelation so hard because you got to be able to, like, we, 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 are, we are trivia experts probably in Bible more than seeing the bigger story. Like, you got to know your whole Bible well to read Revelation. Because it, it's taken this image and this image and this image and this image and this image, and it's just wrapping it all together for you. It requires real skill. So it's just the hardest one to do. But when you see that, it is beautiful. Last one. Is that, I came to see who this is. Oh, sorry, yeah. 
Yeah, and it, and it, and in many ways, the last chapter of Revelation may almost serve. I mean, again, we think of individual authors writing individual books, but if you think canonically, like God was thinking of, He's like giving a kind of His postscript to the whole Bible, in a sense, with those kind of words. Yeah, it, it's beautiful, but there's more to come. I've probably gone long again, uh, but too bad. All right, we've got another service coming in here. Just be aware of that, so there are going to be people coming in from in here. We can talk more later. Thanks for being here. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.